us to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. And as you're turning there, just, just know that it is, it is that easy, just inviting someone, simply saying, hey, would you like to come to church with me? It may be easier than you think, right? So we want to do that. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 9. When you got it, say so. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for the beauty and the reality, Lord God, that we have been able to sing about this morning, that your name is great, you are powerful, your blood is powerful, and you really and truly are worthy of all our praise and all our adoration. And we stand firm upon you, Jesus, because you are our cornerstone. This morning we pray that you would open our ears, that you would speak to our hearts and that you, Heavenly Father, would lead us, Lord God, not just to listen to truth, but, Lord God, to live truth. I pray against any distractions in our minds and our hearts, Lord God, and we ask you these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you need an outline, just raise your hands, please, and the usher will bring you an outline. One of the ushers will do that. Just keep your hand up until they come to you, until you have that outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along uh, in, the, uh, in the introduction, that you're able to take some notes, follow along on the main points, and as well, as I always challenge you, and um, we talked about the invitations, but I want to challenge you continually to be sure that you are making disciples, that you are helping someone grow in their faith, and so stepping out in faith, helping someone grow uh, by simply um, sharing God's word with them and what you're learning on Sundays is going to be one of the easiest ways for you to do that, and so I encourage you to do that. This morning, we are going to talk about heart condition. We're going to talk about heart condition. Uh, yesterday, some of us were able to come here, and we were uh, in a parenting conference or parenting conference uh, yesterday, and it was a really good time, and one of the main things that I always get out of these parenting conferences or these seminars, especially when you're dealing with like shepherding a child's heart or the one that we dealt with yesterday, and it is this, it is that the heart, the condition of the heart is what really matters. Whenever you are addressing your children, whenever you're dealing with them, whenever you're dealing with people in general, the condition of the heart really matters. Because we can teach people, and I think that this is our problem, is that we teach people how to behave, but we don't, we don't, we don't check how they feel. We teach people what to do, you know, with our kids. I mean, we'll be fine, right? Like if we have a kid that just listens to everything we say, like we tell them to sit down, they go sit down. We tell them to go pick this up, they go pick it up. We'll, we'll think, man, God must have given me a holy child. Hello. 
right? That's what we would think. We would assume that, not realizing that the kid's heart is still wicked, right? The kid's heart still needs to be changed by the gospel. The same thing at work, right? You're at work, you get people to do if you're an employee, you know, or you're an employer and you have employees, you want someone to do something. Well, guess what? If they just do what you want, you'll never know they can't stand you. Come on now. You'll never know the thoughts they think about you because they never say anything, right? And if you never ask them, you know, you, you never dig into that, then guess what? You think everything is all good because they're doing everything. They're doing a great job. They're hitting all their quotas and everything. But the reality is our heart condition matters. And as, we look, as we're going to look at two stories today, so this is kind of the setup, and then we're going to look at Luke, so we'll get there on our second point. But here's the thing. Most people, think about this now, most people excuse themselves based upon their intentions, based upon their intentions. I don't know about you. I know me. I can speak about me. I've said, you know, plenty of times, I didn't mean that, right? <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do that, right? Like, like that's something that, that we say. And so we, we're, we're, we're saying, man, I didn't intend to do that. That wasn't my intention. Or the other side, I, I wanted to be there, right? I wanted to do that. I really wanted to be part of that, right? And so we excuse ourselves often because of our intentions. But we don't realize this. God judges us based upon our heart condition. And, and, and this next sentence, I really want us to just camp here for a moment. And I want you to think about this. God really knows our hearts. Amen. That should be frightening. I, I mean, listen, think God really knows you. See, a lot of times that's how we, that's how we justify ourselves. Right? Well, God knows my heart. You're right. That's a scary place. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're right. God knows your heart, right? Everybody else sees your actions, right? And sometimes we get a glimpse of your heart. But the reality is God really, I mean, really knows your heart. So every wicked thing you think, guess who knows that? God. Right? Every single thought you have, God knows that. God sees that. And so that's it. I mean, you're completely naked before the Lord, whether you want to be or not. He knows our hearts for real. And no matter what we say, he sees our intentions. And like our words, our actions or our inactions are the result of the true condition of our hearts. And so we have to realize that today as we're talking about heart condition, and here's what I want you to think about this morning. The condition of our hearts must be right. Not only to receive the gospel, but to share it. The condition of our heart must be right. Not only to receive the gospel, but to share the gospel. One of the things that I loved about the, about the um, seminar yesterday was as they were talking and they were dealing with parenting, it wasn't just about your children. It was about you as a parent. You have got to check your own heart as a parent. If you are going to correct your children and you're going to call your kids to righteous living, you need to check your heart. You need to continuously look and side of your heart to make sure your heart is right so when you're giving correction you're doing it from the right place and when it comes to the gospel it is the same thing we know that our hearts need to be a certain way in order to receive the gospel we're going to look at what our hearts should look like in order to receive the gospel but I would also say to you it is not only to receive it but it is to share it because if your heart is wrong in the sharing of the gospel you can do more damage than good you can hurt somebody rather than help them. You can push somebody away rather than bring them along. And so it is imperative for us that we continuously check the condition of our hearts. 
that we're looking at what's going on inside of our hearts, that we're checking to make sure that things are okay in our heart. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, when it comes to the gospel, we must know our need. When it comes to the gospel, we must know our need. And so when we look at Matthew chapter 9, we see here Jesus is, is early on in his ministry. And, and, and one of the first people that he calls as a disciple is this person by the name of Matthew. I think it's a little chilly in here, y'all. I'm in a sweater and I'm feeling chilly. So I know y'all got to be chilly. So you might want to fix that AC. Glory to God. But here's the thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm seeing icicles, you know, like happening. I see, I see people like, glory to God, it's cold up in here. <laughs> All right, thank, thank you, Pastor Aldo. We appreciate that, you know. Got to keep you awake, you know what I'm saying? So don't go to sleep because it'll get warm now. You know, you get comfortable and all of a sudden I've got y'all snoring. I know we lost an hour, you know, so I feel you. I'm feeling we're we, we in the same place, you know. We're we, we going to work this out together. But, but here's the thing. Matthew is one of the first people that's called. The scripture tells us that he's at the tax office sitting there. Jesus comes by. And apparently, right, I mean, just, I'm just thinking like this, right? It would, it would assume that Matthew has heard Jesus before. Jesus has seen Matthew before. There's been some kind of encounter that has happened before. And maybe Matthew was one of those guys that maybe he was chilling out in the back and he's listening while Jesus is communicating. You know, he's sitting somewhere and he's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And Matthew is sitting there listening and he noticed something about Matthew. And then one day Jesus comes by the tax office. Maybe he had to pay some taxes. I don't know. But he comes by there and he sees him and he says, follow me. And Matthew immediately follows him. And then something happens, and for some of you that has been through like contagious Christianity, which is one of the things we used to teach a long time ago, or you've heard, this is, this is what we refer to as the Matthew party. Right? We call it a Matthew party because what happens next is it seems like Jesus ends up at a place, and all these, it's like every, every tax collector decided to follow Jesus. Hello. Right? Like everybody decided, well, we're going to come and eat, eat, eat dinner with Jesus. And so they're all sitting there. They're eating dinner with Jesus. And then we look at verse 12 here. And, and, and this, we'll, let's go skip back to verse 11. And the Pharisees said this. When the Pharisees saw it, they saw this party going down. They said to, I think they were just jealous because they didn't get invited. Hello. It was just a little, hate, a little haterade going on. But anyway, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Sounds like, why, 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 why he's not even eating with us? <laughs> why why are we not invited, right? So they say that, and then when Jesus heard it, he doesn't let his disciples answer. He responds to them, and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So let's pause there for a moment. Because in our time together, as we've been going through this series, we have looked at different people. We looked at a rich young ruler. We looked at Simon, who was a Pharisee. We looked at the lawyer, and we look at the Pharisees here. And what do they all have in common? All of them were unaware of their own sinfulness. They were all unaware. For some reason, they were unaware. And, and the reason why is this, and, and I was thinking about this, and I think they get a little bit of a pass because, remember, when you go to the Old Testament, right, the, the depravity of man is not as crystal clear written down as it is in the New Testament, right? Romans 5 breaks it down that we are all born into sin because of Adam, right? Y'all are tracking with me here. But the thing is, in the Old Testament, it wasn't as clear uh, that, that, that people were born into sin. And so the Jewish people, and, I, and to, to my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, but the way that I understand it, that Jewish people, they don't, they, they, they don't believe in the depravity of man like that. They don't think of it that way. They don't teach it that way. 
And so these guys, they didn't think of it that way. They were wicked people, and they were righteous people. They thought themselves to be righteous. They were like, hey, we're righteous. We're doing things right. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And so while they have this mindset, you give them somewhat of a pass because they're thinking that they're okay because they don't understand their heart condition is wrong. They don't recognize that what's going on is the wickedness. It's not the external stuff that you're doing. It's not all the external things that are happening. It's about what's going on inside of your heart. See, knowing the correct use of God's law, this is why it's so important to know God's law. So when you're here in, this, in, in, in our congregation, there will be sermons that I will preach. This is not particularly one of them, but sermons that I'll preach where I will call you to live according to the standards of God's word, right? Where I'll call you to live, whether it's as a husband, as a wife, as an employee, as a neighbor, as an employer, as a person that, that, that is serving the Lord, to live a holy and righteous life. The law of God calls us to live a certain way. It's important that we know why the law is there and what and, and how we're supposed to use the law. We need to know God's law because of what? First of all, we need to know the standard to live by. See, as a follower of Jesus, you are called to live by the standards of God's law. Is that not true? That's the fact. In the Old Testament, it was the same way. God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. When he brings them out of Egypt, he brings them into the land. Well, he's bringing them to the land of the promise. And when he's bringing them to the land of promise, he does what? He gives them his law so they would know how to live. So they would know how to function as a society that was a theocracy where the one true God was over them. And so now they knew how to live and what the standards were to live. But here is the other thing. The other reason why we have the law is also to call other people to self-examination. Now, I need, you to, I need you to catch this with me because I am not telling you, and I've said this for weeks, I am not telling you that people who don't know Christ, and so if you're in here, you don't know Christ, so you're listening to this, you don't know Christ, here's the thing. You're not called to live like these standards because you're not expected to, right? You're not expected to live these standards. However, God measures us by these standards. See, and when I come to you and I talk to you, and when someone says, well, I'm a good person, okay, let's look at God's law. Oh, you're a good person. Well, let's see. Well, have you ever lied? Yeah. Okay, that's not good. Hello. <laughs> have you ever stolen something? Well, yeah, that's not good. Have you ever lusted? Yeah, well, that's not good. Okay, wait a second. So you're a liar? You're a thief? You're a, you're a lustful person at heart? You call yourself good? Hold on a second. But how do we know this? We know this because God's law shows us what good is. And when we look at the condition of our hearts, we start to recognize, wait a second, I'm not keeping God's law the way he wants me to keep his law. I'm not living God's law. And so when other people, whether they're saved or not, they're saying they're good. Well, wait a second, we have a standard for what good is. So are you living this standard perfectly? Nobody lives the standard perfectly. See, you know what happens when we know God's law? This is what it does. It shows us the standard to live to, but it shows us how short we fall, and it brings us where? To the cross. It brings us to the cross. It brings us to Jesus. Is that not what the law is supposed to do? It is supposed to bring us to Christ. It's not supposed to bring us to despair. It's not supposed to bring us to discouragement. It's supposed to bring us to the place that we recognize our sinfulness. The problem was the Pharisees and all these people that I just mentioned, they were not making the connection that they weren't living holy. We're going to deal with that in a moment as to why they should have seen that. And here's what I want you to get. The most effective witnesses for the faith are not those who are trained the best, but it's those who fully understand their own sinfulness, their own need of salvation, and the truth that Jesus really is the only Savior of mankind. You grab that, right? 
It's, it's, it's not about knowing, right? We're going through how Jesus evangelized. I want you to notice, if you haven't noticed yet, right, it's pretty simple, is it not? It's not real complicated. I think that that's one of the things that messes me up about Jesus is he doesn't complicate stuff. He makes it simple for us. He, he, he said, just do what I'm doing. Have conversations with people. And I eat a meal with people. Share with people the truth. Show people their hopelessness, but show them where their hope can be. Like, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not rocket science, y'all. I mean, really. Jesus does this. He shows us this. But the truth is this, is that, look, it's not about being trained the best. It's not about having all the right answers. Because as a matter of fact, you can be trained the best. You can have all the right answers. Still be a terrible witness for Jesus. You can know it all. You can have all the doctrinal um, um, theology down. You can know all the terminology. And you know what that will make you? That will probably just make you someone who uses words that people don't understand. Come on. I might play that video next week. Hello. It's a pretty funny video. But anyway. The reality is this. The reality is that the best witnesses are the ones who recognize, man, I am a sinner who is in desperate need of a Savior, and there is only one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Why does that make you a good witness? Because, man, you pray differently when you recognize that. You see people differently when you recognize that. You don't see them as some kind of project. You don't see them as some kind of issue. You see them as somebody who desperately needs Christ. You see them as somebody who is in the same boat as you. Are you here? You see them as somebody who cannot make their own way. That's somebody who needs to be introduced to that Savior. That's what makes you the most effective witness. And you know what? You will begin to see how God will use you when you just recognize your own sinfulness, your own need for salvation, and the truth that Jesus really is the only Savior. The second thing, I ask you to repeat after me, is this. Say, comparison comparison is the enemy of self-examination. Comparison is the enemy of self-examination. I want you to turn to the book of Luke with me, please. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is, is, is not directly connected to this story. However, you're going to see the connection when we read this parable that Jesus shares. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, when you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, also he, speaking of Jesus, spoke this parable to some. Now listen to this. It's really important you pay attention to all these words here. This is really, really important. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And he says this, two men went up to the temple to pray. Now please notice with me what they were doing. They weren't going to sit down and listen to a sermon. They weren't going to sing some songs. They weren't, no, no, they were going to pray. You know what prayer is, right? Prayer is coming before God, especially in this context. That that was like a really holy thing that was going on. It should be holy now. But what I'm saying is it wasn't like they just coming to church just to hang out. No, no, no. They were going to the temple to pray to God. They understood what this was, and so this is what it says. This is what the scripture says. It says one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now you see the connection, right? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, now check this out, thus with himself. It's crazy. He's going to pray, right? Like he's talking to God. Really, the scripture's like, he's praying to himself. He's, he's praying with himself, by himself. He's not praying with anybody. He's not even really talking to God, but here's what he says. Look, look at this guy. He says, God, I thank you. That's, that's the way to start a prayer, is it not? Don't we start our prayers with thank yous? Don't we? Isn't, isn't that how we do it, right? That's a good start, right? Check it out. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. <laughs> extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Sounds like a holy God, doesn't he? Apart from his prayer, but anyway. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, this parable is a graphic exposition of the condition of someone's heart who has lived their entire lives in a place of comparison. See, what this Pharisee has done is he has looked at the law as he understands it, and rather than comparing himself by God's standard alone, he has compared himself by other people, in particular in this moment, the tax collector who is there. This tax collector who is an extortioner. This tax collector who is not righteous by the standards of Pharisees. And this Pharisee has lived a life of comparison. Let me tell you why comparison is so bad. Because if you, two things happen when you live a life of comparison. Number one, you will be a person, when you're living your life of comparison, you're going to be a person who doesn't see yourself as, as adequate. So you're going to have this complex of inadequacy. You're going to see yourself. You're going to measure yourself. You know why? Because there's always somebody that does what you do better. There's always somebody, you, you, you may not even know them here. You may have to find them on YouTube. Hello, somebody. But here's the thing. There's always someone who does something better or does something that you cannot do. Therefore, you start to feel inadequate. You start to look at yourself. And some of us think, oh, that's, that's just humility. That's not humility. That's foolishness because you can't even recognize what God has given you because you're so busy comparing yourself to someone else. But here's the thing that happens. The other thing that happens when you live a life of comparison is you end up with a supremacy complex. You start to think you're better than other people because you know what? You found those people on YouTube that can't do it like you. <laughs> you have that neighbor that can't do the things you do. You know that person that isn't as articulate as you are. You know that person that isn't as gifted as you are. And so all of a sudden you walk around with this supremacy complex. Well, guess what? That's what this Pharisee had. He had this supremacy complex. I want you to think about this. We're going to deal with these three things here, and then we'll deal with them on my last point as well. But the attitude of supremacy that was there displayed, the, displayed by the Pharisee, check this out, is an example of how deceiving comparison can be. Remember what I said they were doing, right? The Scripture said they were going to pray. They weren't talking to, like, somebody and saying, hey, man, I want to let you know how great I am. No, no, no. This guy was talking directly to God Almighty. He is in, listen, this is how deceived you can come. You can become so deceived that even in the presence of God, you don't see truth. Even in the presence of a sermon, you don't see truth. Even in the presence of godly counsel, you don't see truth. You all have been in those conversations. Hopefully you have been not on the receiving end. You wouldn't know if you were anyway, hello, because you'd be deceived. You were thinking, ah, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh-huh. Some of you are like, man, yeah, that was you. We all been there. We've all been a little prideful. We've all felt like, ah, oh, no, I don't need to hear that. I don't need to do that. That's for you. That's not for me. I don't know. You know, even though, even though they're talking to us from the Bible, right, they're saying, hey, the Bible says, like, ah, oh, I don't know if that's talking to me. Wait a second. <laughs> We're this Old Testament, New Testament. But, but the truth is we all may struggle in this area or have at some time. But this Pharisee, the first thing, what do we find here? So if you're taking notes, you should write this down. The first thing that we find here is that this Pharisee is so deceived that he has a prideful heart. So there is pride that is overflowing him. This Pharisee, now listen again, he was in God's presence. In God's presence. And you know what he was doing? 
He wasn't celebrating God. He was congratulating himself. That's what he was doing. He was literally saying, well, I'm not like this guy. I'm not like that. He wasn't saying, God, I thank you. This morning it was so beautiful. Pastor Aldo, he came in. He, he started to lead prayer in the morning, typically at 8, you know, at the 845 time. I'm the one that leads prayer when I'm here. But he came in. He started to lead prayer. And it was awesome because I got to sit there and I got to hear him pray. And so he prayed for about five minutes. And, and, and well, he prayed for about, yeah, about five minutes, something like that. For like the first three minutes, all he did was thank God. That's all he did. He was like, God, I thank you. And he, said, and he was thanking God for a lot of good stuff. He was thanking the Lord. He wasn't blowing himself up. He was saying, God, thank you because I have. Thank you because, thank you because you've done this. Thank you. That's what it means to come in the presence of God. You recognize he is supreme. You're not. Your pride doesn't blind you. You don't think you deserve to be in God's presence. You don't think you've earned anything in God's presence. But you come there and you understand that you are nothing in the presence of an almighty God in comparison. And yet he makes you something. This guy was so filled with pride, he was justifying himself. Remember, we all see justification. He was, ju he was like, I'm good. I'm righteous. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm not an extortion. I'm not this. I'm not that. Like this guy. I'm not like him. Man, I tithe. I fast. I am holy. Come on now. God, go deal with him. Crazy. The second thing that we find in this guy, we find a critical spirit. So the first thing is we find pride. The second thing is we find a critical spirit. What did he say? I'm not like other men. That's a critical spirit, is it not? He's looking at all these other people. He's thinking about it. Let me tell you a sign. You, you, should, you should think about this. Write this down. A sign of self-righteous pride is when our devotion towards God turns into a critical spirit towards others. Think about that. A sign of self-righteous pride is when our devotion towards God turns toward a critical spirit towards others. It's when we are thinking, man, oh, you know, I want to serve the Lord. And all of a sudden, you start looking down your nose at people. You start thinking, these people got issues, man. These people don't pray enough. Listen, I, I, I know none of y'all are like that, but I'll tell you, when I first got saved, I was like that. And there are moments that I get like that now, you know. I mean, it's a little bit less now because I'm a little bit older and I know myself a little bit better. But I remember when I first became a Christian, man, I first became a Christian. First of all, I didn't want to be a Christian because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Hello. Right? So I was 100% sure I was not going to be a hypocrite. So when I gave my life to Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus. I was in that word. I was praying. I was seeking God. I was living holy. I mean, you talk, I, I, I don't even think I went to a movie theater for like the first two years of me being a Christian. Come on, y'all. You know I was holy. Come on now. <laughs> I was lit, man. I was walking on water almost, glory to God. Right? But I, man, I, I used to look down at people, be like, yo, why these people don't pray? Why, why, why these people don't have answers? They didn't have answers. I just wouldn't shut up. Come on now. <laughs> I always thought I had the answer. I always shot my hand up first. I always had to be the first one to answer. I thought people wanted to listen to me. No, I want to listen to myself. Come on now. I'm just keeping it real. I know this is none of y'all. I know y'all. Y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all ain't like that. <laughs> but the reality is what? I started to think of myself more than I should have. I didn't realize it was God who was doing this work in me. It wasn't me doing this by myself. I didn't understand that part yet because I was a young punk, man. Come on now. I didn't know any better. <laughs> you have this critical spirit. This is so terrible. Something that messes other people up, messes your witness up. Here's the thing, church. Let me, tell, let me tell you this. We must remain or keep looking in the mirror rather than out the window <clears throat> in regards to sin or we run the risk of developing a critical spirit. Listen, I, I, there's, there's something that I like. There's certain, there's certain ways, like when you're sitting in front of a window, and you know, when the, when the sun hits it just right, you can't see out the window. You just see your reflection. 
Think about that. That's, good. That's a good analogy of where we need to be. When we're looking out the mirror, the sun needs to be so bright before us that we're not seeing people with this critical gaze, but that we're looking at the reflection of ourselves, realizing that we are not holy enough to be condemning of anyone. <clears throat> See, that's the reality that we have to have, that we need to have inside of our hearts and our minds. So critical spirit, the third thing <clears throat> is a lack of mercy, a lack of mercy. It's what we see in him. See, there's something that we've noticed, we've dealt with Pharisees, is that there is this lack of mercy. When they're looking at people, they forget. See, Abraham's descendants, they forgot what their blessedness was about. Remember when we went through Romans 9 and we talked about the blessings of Abraham? There's a reason why God blessed them. It wasn't for them to look down on people. That wasn't why he blessed them. It was for them to raise people up. That's why he blessed them. It was so that they could be a blessing to other nations, not say, hey, we're blessed, y'all are not. That wasn't it. And they were forgetting. And so what happened was there was no mercy toward them. And so in our, in our scripture in Matthew, what did Jesus do? Jesus said this verse. It's, it's quoting from Hosea 6.6. 6. And he said something. And we're not going to turn back there. But I want you to notice what he says to them. He doesn't just quote a verse to them. He tells them this. Go and learn. You know what he was saying? Y'all don't know nothing. Are you here? I know that was a double negative. But here's the thing. <laughs> Y'all don't know anything. Y'all don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know what you believe. That's what he was saying to them. He was telling them, listen, go learn what this means. Go look back at your law that says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus communicates this to them because he wants them to know what? The law should always remind us of God's mercy toward us. That's what he wants. He wants us to be merciful. And so here's the thing. Comparison will always hinder us from being the gospel witnesses God has called us to be. Why? Because it keeps us from, become, from becoming who God created us to be. It will always hinder us from being the gospel witnesses that God has called us to be because it hinders us from being who God created us to be. I want you to understand this. Our witness for Christ, it shouldn't be a learned behavior, but an authentic transforming life. I didn't say transform life with, a, with an ED. I'm said an authentic transforming life. It's a life that is still in process. It's a life that is still in progress. It's a life that is becoming more like Jesus. However, if someone sees you three years from now, they should see a different you. As a matter of fact, when you start sharing your story about how you used to be, people would be like, nah, that couldn't be you. <laughs> There's no way that was you before. Be like, oh, yeah, that was me. Because they see such a difference in you. It doesn't mean you've arrived. It means that you're moving in, in, in a certain direction. And that is becoming more like Christ. See, our witness comes from that. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the gospel itself prepares us to share it faithfully. The gospel itself prepares us to share it faithfully. And so we've looked at this story. Here's what we have to grasp is that the gospel does something to our hearts. It changes us from the inside out. It gives us new desires, but it also gives us new dispositions. It gives us new desires, new wants, new passions, new pursuits, but it also changes our disposition. It changes us emotionally. It changes our perspective. It changes the way we see people and situations. Why? Because the gospel has taken root in us and it is changing our hearts.
It's changing us. And so what does the gospel do? What do we learn from Jesus? I told you we're going to deal with these three things, pride and the critical spirit and being an unmerciful heart. So what's the first thing that we learn from Jesus is the importance of a heart of humility. That's the first thing we learn from Jesus in both of these stories here is the importance of a heart for humility. That is the antidote to pride, a heart of humility. See, church, here's the thing. Jesus says something that's so powerful. This, again, to me, is just one of those verses. It may not seem scary to you, but it's pretty scary to me. Because this is what he says. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what that means? That means we have a choice. We can either humble ourselves or we can be humbled. Are you here? We can exalt ourselves or we can be exalted. If we choose to be exalting ourselves, then we have chosen to be humbled. If we choose to humble ourselves, then we are what? Then we are going to allow God to exalt us and do it how he wants to do it. That's a beautiful thing, but it's also scary. Because if I, but, but you know what I want you to get? What I want you to get is humility is a choice. It's not something. You don't want God to humble you. Are you here? See, here's the thing. This is my firm belief. My firm belief is that when God humbles you, it's too late. That may sound scary, but when God humbles you, it is too late. You are so far gone when God has to come in and humble you. You know why? Because he sent prophets, he sent apostles, he sent evangelists, he sent pastors, he sent teachers, he sent sisters, he sent brothers, he sent children, he sent nieces, he sent nephews, he sent coworkers, he sent neighbors, he sent everybody in your direction calling you to humble yourself and you refused because you were blinded by your pride. And so that's why I say it's scary and I believe when God humbles you, it's too late, y'all. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to go before God and be seriously humbled. Apart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You wouldn't humble yourself. You wouldn't turn away from your sin. That's too late, is it not? There's no second chance. It's not like we can come back here and try to fix that up. No. And so when God humbles us, it's pretty crushing. But know this, he tries to get us to humble ourselves often because he loves us. The journey of faith begins. Where does it begin? I said you got to have the right heart, right? It begins with humility. It's got to be maintained by humility. You continue to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Recognize who God is. And I say this, the most unattractive characteristic in a believer is pride. Think about the person that you know is prideful. You like that? Especially the one that calls himself a Christian. Huh. It's terrible, isn't it? Understand that, church. We must be on guard against it. The second thing is, is, is we learn from Jesus is we learn to criticize ourselves, not others. Remember the analogy looking in the looking out the out the out the window, but it becoming a mirror? We learn to criticize ourselves, not others. It's not that we don't help others, it's not that we don't correct others. Correction and criticism, I, I'm gonna tell you they're like two different things, right? They're, they're two, like one of them is, is productive, the other one's destructive. I'm just going to come and criticize you. I'm going to come and tell you how worthless you are. I'm going to come and tell you how you never make the standard. I mean, you know, you know the point. Like, like I'm, I'm coming to, no, then, then there's the one that wants to correct you, wants to come beside you, wants to help you become better, right? Like, that's a different thing. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two, but the reality is we need to learn to criticize ourselves, not others. Why? When we see ourselves in true light, then we can help people to the light. 
When we see ourselves as we really are, we can help people come to the light. Until then, we're going to hinder people. That's the bottom line. The third thing is this. That one, that one dealt with the critical spirit, by the way. The third one is the need to show mercy. This deals with the unmerciful heart. Why do, we, why do we need to show mercy? I just want to walk you through some things that are so important. The law of God in the Old Testament, it begins with a reminder of God's mercy towards Israel. When you look at the sacrificial system itself, it is a constant reminder of God's mercy towards Israel. Israel is commanded in and throughout the law to do what? To be kind and merciful toward others, toward strangers, toward the alien. That's what the scriptures see. It continues to speak that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, what does God say to us as well? Tells us to show mercy to others, to be forgiving of others as Christ is, has forgiven us. And so we realize that this is a constant theme throughout the scriptures. The whole of the Old Testament reminds us what? That God calls those who have been blessed to use their role their positions, and everything else that they have to do what? To be a blessing to others in order, in other words, be merciful. Not overly critical, be merciful. Show mercy. I loved it yesterday in the parenting conference, right? I already had my sermon done, so if you were here yesterday, I wasn't just preaching what they said yesterday. It just all fell in line. But the reality is what? Is that we're on a mercy mission as parents, are we not? That's what we're called to do. We're on a mercy mission to save our children from themselves, to save our children from the foolishness in their heart. Can I tell you something? There's a whole lot of older people on the planet. They still have foolishness bound up in their heart. They need salvation. We're called to be on a mercy mission. We're called to be used by God to minister to them. What we learn from Jesus shouldn't be some formula, but it should be a heart of compassion for others. This is the direct result of knowing the depth of our own sin and how fully we have been rescued by the power of the gospel. Let me say that again. What we learn from Jesus shouldn't just be some formula, but it should be a heart of compassion for others. This is the direct result of knowing the depth of our own sin and how fully we have been rescued by the power of the gospel. Have you been rescued? Have you been rescued? Here's my closing question. What is the condition of your, of your heart toward the gospel? What's the condition of your heart toward the gospel? Is it for you? See, it's easy. It's easy to be like, oh, they need the gospel. No, my question is, do you need the gospel? Because you know what I realize? I need the gospel every single day. I need to remind myself. Sometimes I need to remind myself of how horrible I am. Hello. Not very often because I know that pretty well. <laughs> but I also need to be reminded that I'm a loved son no matter what. That God loves me because of what his son has done for me. And I can rest secure in that. And I have a new identity in Christ. And even though I'm in progress and I'm in process, guess what? The gospel is what secured me. It is what secures me. It is what will keep me until the day of glory. So the question is, is the gospel for you? If you're not sure if the gospel is for you, I call you to repentance today. Because every one of us in this room, everyone that might be hearing us, the gospel is for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your love toward us, for your grace toward us, for your mercy and your kindness. God, I thank you for the gospel that reminds us of our rescue. And I pray for all of us in this place, God, that we would be so overwhelmed by the beauty, by the wonder, and by the power of the gospel. Lord, that our lives would continue to demonstrate its transforming power. And that we would be faithful, faithful witnesses unto this world that desperately need you. 
And God, as we look forward to this Easter Sunday that is around the corner, God, I pray for each of us that we would find those who need that invitation and that we would be bold, that we would be faithful, and that we would invite, 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 that we would pray and pray and pray, and that we would believe you for great things, God. Father, we thank you because we know that you are at work, and so we pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. He's worthy.